Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. He was last with me uh, about nine years ago. Richard Lawrence has accumulated a very unique breadth of knowledge and experience and all kinds of mind, body, and spirit, including the area of UFOs. Richard was Lord Kimberly's speechwriter during the House of Lords UFO debate back in 1979. Was the first to bring declassified CIA and Pentagon UFO files to Britain back in 1980. He launched a very successful campaign in the U.S. for release of UFO data from the FAA back in 87. And the first to reveal Soviet Union UFO papers in Britain in 1990. His latest book is called UFOs and the Extraterrestrial Message. Richard, welcome back. It's been too long. Oh, thank you, George. Yes, thank you for inviting me again. It's good to have you. What's new with you? Well, um, the most recent thing that I've actually been working on was a biography of Dr. George King. I think we spoke about him last time. Yep. And we just completed that and, and published it last year. That's The King Who Came to Earth. And it sort of describes, I think, whatever one's view of him and the Aetherist Society, which he founded, which I'm secretary, I think it's a... I think it's a must for people who are interested in UFOs to form their own conclusions, know about him, because he's such a key figure in the movement. How did you get interested in studying and investigating UFOs, Richard? You know, my sort of way in, funnily enough, was more of a spiritual thing. And that's why I'm so pleased that the the sort of, if you like, the nuts and bolts school of ufology and the spiritual school of ufology have come together, I feel. Um, and, you know, I think both recognize the need for the other. Uh, but from my point of view, I was at university. I was looking into various spiritual teachings. I came across the Aetherius Society. And then just shortly after that, I had a, and I think, I believe, I could be stand to be corrected on this, but I think the Aetherius Society is the oldest international UF organization in the world now. It may be. Uh, uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, there are some local ones that could be older. I know of one, I think, in Cleveland, but that's by the by. I had an amazing sighting uh, at university in the north of England at a place called Hull, which I couldn't argue with at all. It was actually probably not a million miles from what they now call the tic-tac type of object, but in those right. days they called it the cigar-shaped. You probably remember that, George. Sure. It used to be the, the flying saucer and the cigar shape. And so it was oblong, and it was moving slowly in the sky. But it came at a moment of great significance to me when I was, you know, looking into this and making decisions about uh, which path to go down, you might say. And sort of the tie-up between cosmic existence, alien existence, and spirituality was what really brought me into the whole field. Why do these UFOs seem to have different shapes, uh, Richard? Uh, the oval shapes, uh, triangular shapes, cigar shaped, and tic tac shaped. Now, all these different shapes. How come? Yeah, well, I th- I think that's where we we need to be really open minded and, and and in fact open minded about also the shapes of the intelligences aboard them. I'm sure they are some of them anyway who come from outside this solar system. I believe which could be very very different from us. Um, but it doesn't mean they're not intelligent life. But in terms of the shapes of the craft, I mean, I don't really know why they would have a triangular one as opposed to a, a round one. But I myself had a sighting just a couple of years ago, actually, in Devon, of a, of a triangular object, which, I'm sorry, that was, in, I'm sorry, I say Devon. It was in London, actually, that particular one. Uh-huh. 
and it changed. You know, in front of the uh, my wife and I were looking at it, and it changed shape from triangular to disc shape to. So they obviously have capacity, and I think their biggest capacity, of course, is the ability to blink out. You might say to sort of the whole concept of invisibility, which Helen Sharman, as you mentioned earlier, the astronomer here, raised the possibility that they could be invisible to us, that they have a, a control over the dimensions of space, I believe you might call them that. Helen Sharman, who's 56 now and was uh, Britain's first astronaut when she was just 27, uh, has been yeah. interviewed by The Observer out there, which uh, you were a former c- columnist for. And she talked, was, yeah. she talked about the I'm existence sorry. of aliens. Now, was she talking about little microbes or the real big ETs well, we've all been known? It's interesting because it was part of an interview and it was just one question in the interview. And it's the only question that sort of got international coverage. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's strange, though, because when I wrote, as you write, so I had a column in that very magazine and it was, a, it was a mind and body column. I was always trying to get it to be a mind, body and spirit column. And they weren't willing to ever go that far. And if I'd done a piece about, you know, invisible aliens in it, uh, it wouldn't have been published, I don't think. So it's great to see it there. But um, I think she was certain, well, she was definitely talking about intelligent life, from what I can tell. She said, will they be like you and me, made up of carbon and nitrogen? Maybe not. Um, It's possible they're here right now and we simply can't see them. And she talks about there must be all sorts of different life forms. So I can't speak for her, but um, it certainly opens up the question of, uh, of intelligent life, not just, you might say, microbe life. There have been three astronauts now who have talked uh, pretty strongly about UFOs. Helen being one, uh, astronaut, uh, the late Gordon Cooper, uh, he claimed that uh, he saw uh, several UFOs film them, and that they were confiscated, the, pig, the video was confiscated, the film was confiscated from him. And then uh, yeah. Edgar Mitchell, whom we knew, the Apollo 14 astronaut, who told me he never saw anything, but that he was 90% convinced from the people he knew within government that we yeah. were being visited. Yeah, and lied to. I think he really stuck his neck out, didn't he, Edgar Mitchell? He and, sure uh, did. You know, he didn't mind what happened. He, he just said that the American government and, and undoubtedly other governments are not telling us the truth, which, you know, one thing I've noticed, uh, and I, I'm, I'm sure you must have noticed more than me, George, but when I was first speaking about this, you mentioned the House of Lords debate, and you know, I was in my 20s then, and, and some of the, the early papers that came over that I brought here, and also later I brought some papers from Russia as well over here to, to Europe, to Britain, you know, if you'd gone out there, and I used to go out there and say, well, governments are lying to us, you'd be regarded as a bit of a nutter, a pretty eccentric sort of fringe person just for saying that. That's right. Whereas now, if you went out now and said, well, look, governments are telling us the truth, we can trust them, you'd be regarded as a complete nutter. Nobody believes them at all anymore. So that's one massive shift. I, 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 think, I, I think opinion polls show that most people uh, believe that governments have lied to us on this topic. Whereas, I mean, never mind me, I mean, Dr. King did a rally in a big square here called Trafalgar Square in the West End of London in 1958, saying that governments were lying to us and, and that they must tell us the truth about flying saucers as it was then. 
So I think there's been a massive shift. And as you rightly say, people like Edgar Mitchell, Gordon Cooper helped. I noticed the astronomer Chris Hadfield, mm-hmm. who was a former commander of the International Space Station, uh, said, I don't know, this is an exact quote, I don't know of any astronauts who think we're alone in the universe. And that's quite a statement, really, because he must have met quite a lot of astronauts. Absolutely. Th- so, does, does... I mean, they have... Sorry. Doug, you go ahead. I was going to say, they, they must have access to information that we don't have. And, they, uh, you know, astronaut after astronaut, another one's Brian O'Leary, uh, comes out, say, I mean, Brian O'Leary, the late Brian O'Leary, who was on a NASA mission in 1967, said um, there's abundant evidence that we're being contacted. Civilizations have been monitoring us for a very long time and that their appearance is bizarre from any type of traditional, materialistic, Western point of view. They, they must know things. Another one being Michael Collins, Jeff Hoffman. One could go on. Astronaut after astronaut has come back. Some of them have had epiphanies in space, they say, of one kind or another, sometimes religious ones. That's another interesting thing, I think, George, is this crossover between religion and science. Yes. And, um, you know, the, the sort of the, the science needing to move towards the mystical in order to explain some of its findings. Is it possible that uh, governments are withholding information because they are afraid that they will lose control over us? I think it's, I would be very confident that that is a fact. I think that's one of their reasons. Now, I was thinking about, I often ask this, and I'm sure you are, but when is a good day, really, for a a prime minister or a president to come out and say to their people, look, folks, we have lied to you for decades. Um, You know, politicians just aren't Mm -hmm. inclined to do things like that on any day. They'll just keep Uh, lying. Whatever their views. No, because occasionally you'll get a, a politician who, who, who believes in UFOs, will say so, will stick their head above the parapet, but it doesn't really go anywhere. And, you know, several have promised to release information. Sometimes it, it generally, if it comes out at all, it comes out through the back door, I think. What do you think of Luis Elizondo, the former Pentagon official who went public talking about UFOs and the, the things that they yeah. could do? I, I, I love some of the things he said. I think that one of the things he said, which I really I, I latched on to, was that uh, in his view, um, the, um, the, I think he said that his whole experience showed him that the UFOs that have been seen, tracked, filmed, whatever it is, there is nothing, I think his phrase was, in the U.S. inventory which is capable of that or any other inventory. I think that's very important because I've noticed a big change. I mean, in, in the sort of the 80s and the 90s, the sort of explanations you'd get to debunk UFOs, sometimes by government officials, sometimes by individuals, were pretty ludicrous. You know, I, mean, I remember one being a flock of mutton birds coming inland to mate, and you'd get these you know, flares from a Japanese squid fleet. But the latest thing seems to be you know, it, it, that there's some secret terrestrial aircraft uh, which uh, they're testing, and therefore that's the sort of new way of lying about UFOs, pretending they're actually some of our secret craft from military establishments. So Luis Elizondo coming out and saying that the capacity of UFOs is way beyond anything that we've got in America or anywhere else, 
I think is a key statement. Why are you a believer, Richard? I'm a believer, as I mentioned at the beginning, primarily for spiritual reasons. I uh, am, am, was a very close friend and follower, I'm, I'm pleased to say, of Dr. King. and That's Dr. Jo- George King, right? That's Dr. George King, yeah, um, uh, who founded the Aetherius Society. And he proved himself to me in, in numerous ways, um, and, and one of the, the main ones being the content of the many communications he received from beings from other planets so over a 43-year period consistently. And I think anyone, I mean, I, I don't sort of ask people to take my word for any of this or even take Dr. King's word for it. I mean, look at, you can look into it, you can form your own conclusions. But having sort of become involved, I've also come across so much information. I mean, I'll give you an example that I came across just yesterday, George. I was looking to prepare for this interview today. I say yesterday, actually. It's, it, it's probably, well, it's just yesterday, your time, but it was on Tuesday. Yeah. And I was looking at the current NASA website on dark matter and dark energy, because we tend to think that scientists now think that less than 5% of the matter in the universe is visible. So they're really on our page, which they didn't used to be. I mean, they, they are absolutely clear that there is such a thing as invisible matter. In fact, most of the universe is invisible matter. But one particular paragraph on the NASA site really interested me. And I'll, I'll just read a little bit of it, if I may, very oh, yeah, shortly. Please. Another explanation for dark energy, it says, is that it is a new kind of dynamical energy fluid or field, something that fills all of space, but something whose effect on the expansion of the universe is the opposite of that of matter and normal energy. Some theorists have named this quintessence after the fifth element of the Greek philosophers. Now, the reason I mention that, George, is the, the fifth element of the Greek philosophers is ether. In fact, our society is named after that Greek word, A-E-T-H-E-R, or we're Aetherius. That is really the basis of alchemy. Uh, it's the basis, uh, even perhaps more importantly, of yoga philosophy, the concept of prana, the concept of chi, And so even on a NASA site, and I think this is a wonderful thing, you have a move, or a suggestion anyway, uh, of the need to move towards these mystical or spiritual concepts in order to explain um, matter in the universe, and in terms of UFOs, their ability to to, to disappear, the concept that Helen Sharman came up of invisible aliens. That was Um, pretty, it was interesting and unique for her to say that, wasn't it? It really was, and it really struck me, and it's absolutely in line with certainly what Dr. King was saying when he started our organization in 1955. And I think there's a coming together. I mean, even you can, you can look at a more orthodox uh, um, organization like the Catholic Church, and you'll find uh, Car- the late Cardinal, um, I'm sorry, Monsignor Balducci, Balducci who, sure. who was very close. I'm sure you've covered him before. Yes. But he, he, you know, looked at the possibility of beings with less material substance than ourselves. Another key phrase from a very different quarter. And, and I, you know, I know the Pope has offered to baptize aliens. I don't think there's a cue uh, for, for that, that, but uh, in a way, it's a good thing. They're opening up the door to this possibility. And Everyone needs to move, I think, in that direction. I don't think one can answer the great spiritual or scientific questions now without addressing life 
uh, in, on other planets. Since all this has been going on, the media coverage is still a little questionable with regards to UFOs, don't you think? I couldn't agree more. And may I give an example of this on Sunday that's just gone two days ago? Uh, the biggest selling newspaper um, in in Britain, and actually I once wrote a front page about a, uh, an encounter between the equity of the uh, of the Duke of Edinburgh, the husband of the Queen, um, with uh, a, an alien intelligence, which was on the front page of this paper. It's called The Sun. But I noticed on Sunday they had something like nine whole pages about our Prince Harry and Meghan, Oh my and God! Yeah, it was everywhere. I don't know whether she's hit the news there or they. Yeah, the she has. She's so she's she's hit some okay. of our cable outlets and stuff like that. So I had to go all the way through to page fourteen, having gone through these whole pages about this, in, in, to find a tiny little article, just about three inches long, uh, which actually revealed the fact that the U.S. Navy has admitted they've got secret footage of a UFO encounter. And I think that illustrates your very point, George. I mean, no, the media um, still haven't caught up, thank goodness, for programs like, well, your program, I think, is, is, is absolutely crucial in our world. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.